Welcome to Full Disclosure, a Delphi digital podcast where we talk about all things crypto law. I'm Sarah Brennan, and we've got a very special episode today where Gabe and I are joined by our friend Stephen Pally, a digital commerce partner at Brown Rudnick. Yes, that's the law firm that represented Johnny Depp. We're splitting the interview into two parts, with the first you're watching now covering Pally's path to crypto law, the fallout from Gabe leaking the draft DCCPA Act on Twitter, and which regulator is best suited to crypto. Part two will come out next week, so if you like this episode, make sure you like and subscribe. With that, it's over to me. So we decided to episode two do a 10 a.m. So what are you guys drinking? Max Degen edition. Degenerate motherfucker. I, I've got a I've got an 18 year uh, Jameson here in my trusty flask. So uh, although it's 10 a.m., tradition is tradition. I have herring juice in a Coke Zero can. Excellent. It's going to be a long day and I need my vinegar. I need a solid stimulant arc before my depressant arc. So I'm still on coffee. But if we had filmed this at the appropriate hour, uh, Pally, what's your drink of choice? Uh, If it were like in the evening, an appropriate drinking time, uh, (laughs) I would say mezcal. Spagliato. With Prosecco uh, in I it. knew someone was going to do oh, that. stunning. <laughs> stunning. I would say like cheap mezcal in a chipped uh, white coffee mug with no ice. Dope. Solid. Maybe a straw. Is that your basis? <laughs> stunning. Is that your basis or extra hard day level? Like where do you go from there? Just more? Um, just <laughs> honestly like where I go from there is like going outside in my backyard and screaming at the moon. And if you keep growing your hair out, you could pass for a werewolf. Probably yes. No, actually, I, I like um, I, I like bourbon and rye. And, and do you bar. and do you dabble in any other substances? Herring, um, uh, herring, oof. vegan pizza. You know, really exciting shit. Okay, so uh, can you give us a little bit of your background? Plus, like, what would you say like your life as a litigator of the crypto variety is like? Whoa, that's a lot. You know. I'm just a simple country lawyer. I grew up in a small town um, on the East Coast. Uh, my parents are academics. I thought I was going to become a professor, but I found I actually like the issue was I got stuck. I was in a PhD program in English literature. I really love poetry. I loved old English and languages. So like I complained to my to my she was my fiance at the time, uh, now my wife. I was like, you know, I want to go. I should have gone to law school, but I'm too old. I was like 24. And she was like, you're a fucking idiot. You should go to law school. So I went to law school. I thought I was going to become a tech lawyer. Uh, that's kind of also partly what drew me to law school. I was interested in the relationship between law and um, art, and the relationship between the printing press and the development of the novel and the creation of the statute of Anne, the first copyright law, those interrelationships. And I was seeing that in the early World Wide Web before there was actually, you know, what we still called it hypertext. And I thought I was going to do that. But, you know, I got a job out of law school at a law firm that was doing volume litigation in St. Louis, and they needed someone to do products liability and insurance coverage work. And so I did that. Moved to the East Coast some years ago to DC with my family and ended up doing some work on software development on my own to create a dispute resolution platform, discovered Bitcoin and pivoted really starting around 2014 to becoming a tech lawyer, mostly focused on on crypto. Um, And I now chair the Practice, uh, co-chair of the practice, the digital commerce practice at a law firm called Brown Rudnick, which some people might have heard of because of um, the firm's um, really amazing work on behalf of Johnny Depp. Um, Delphi uh, Legal is very excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. so it's that's kind of my that's my journey, Sarah. As we all know in this group, we have a friend 
that has an email intake box that is wild. Do you have any of those type of experiences? I mean, I remember like the first call I had like this, maybe it was like 2016. It's the, um, we want you to design a token to do a thing that's probably unlawful. And we don't want you, we don't want to change it. We just want you to tell us that it's not unlawful. And then we want to pay you in those tokens. And it was like, the first one of these, it was like some people from I don't know where who were doing like decentralized recruiting, whatever the fuck that is, I still don't understand. And at, like, I was really, it was the first time I had one of these calls. I was like, yeah, I was like, no, it doesn't sound like the right thing for me. We, I still get those, like those calls. It's like in the first minute um, or two minutes, they're like, you can tell they want to do something that is illegal. They don't want to change anything. They're willing to pay you a lot of money to bless it. I would not be driving a 2007 Kia Sedona if I had taken a lot of that work. You can make a ton of money telling people to do stupid shit. And uh, that's- Or just important. being in the room for it. <laughs> yeah, I just- They're like, like, it's illegal, but you're in the room, so we're good. What are you guys seeing on crypto Twitter this week? I got to defer to Gabe, who's like, who's become like the master of crypto law Twitter. Yeah, this week, there's been a lot of debate about what's called the DCCPA, uh, the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act. There's been debate about the DCCPA for a while. I think a month or two ago, Stabenow and Bozeman, the, the drafters of the bill, had uh, just published a summary of it, but they didn't publish the actual text of the bill. Uh, it looked pretty bad in the sense that you know it has this broad term digital uh, assets trading facility that would suck in pretty much anything or anyone that facilitates any digital asset commodity trades, uh, arguably you know including DeFi and and other types of software, I suppose. But other drafts were circulating. You know, one could hear through the rumor mill and, and not many people had those drafts and they certainly weren't public. The original wasn't public and the new ones weren't public. For whatever reason, a copy of the of, I suppose, a, a recent, relatively recent markup of the bill uh, appeared in my inbox. Uh, uh, a, a wild huh. copy appears uh, from from an, anonymous, <laughs> happened, from, from an anonymous email. And, um, you know, uh, uh, naturally, as they probably expected, uh, you know, I went ahead and leaked it on Twitter. Uh, the interesting thing about this draft was that it did have some proposed carve-outs for software developers, as well as some specific language around doing uh, the CFTC doing a study into DeFi. So anyway, uh, you know, I just figured uh, this is good uh, for everyone to know and talk about. Uh, turns out that that dovetails with a lot of conspiracy theories online about how Sam Bankman-Fried and, and FTX are the engineers of the bill and had used uh, massive donations to the Democrats to ram it through and, and use their incumbent advantage. But yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a pretty interesting debate. It got a lot of attention. And, um, you know, I, I, I just think this is how these things should be in general. I mean, there has been this mentality that even on the side of people who are very pro-crypto, um, you know, like a lot of the crypto lobbyists and stuff, you know, I found myself saying, why can't you just share this with everyone uh, and get everyone to comment on it? You know, because you only have certain members and represent certain constituencies, but crypto is much broader than that. You know, there's big venture funded 
DeFi teams, but there's also right. a guy like Andre Cronia who, you know, is just sitting alone in his house coding entire projects. Um, and he probably has somewhat different views about these things. And I, I think everyone should have a view. So, uh, you know, that's why I published it and we'll see how it all ends up. But uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Do you have a view, Gabe? I'm curious. It's, it's kind of like not exactly about what happened on Twitter, but what's, what's your view is like, is there a regulator who's better suited for quote unquote crypto or is that? Well, in, in theory, based on what its theoretical mandate is, uh, I've always thought actually the SEC makes the most sense. And ultimately, the securities law regime, when it was originally designed, was just a very simple thing. Uh, and Gensler still describes it this way. Hey, uh, yeah, you can, you can sell a security. You just have to make good public disclosures about it, which I think is an idea is, is very good, both for securities and for software. However, I mean, the, the weird thing is that over time, that disclosure regime has morphed into a permissioning regime, right? Because the, the, the disclosures are, are, the disclosure requirements also include certifications that you have to get from third parties to such a point where it's so burdensome that only the bluest of blue chip, you know, multi-billion dollar companies can possibly comply with these regulations. You know, in light of the fact that it's become a permissioning regime, it's not so good. So, you know, what I've always thought the SEC should do is uh, essentially uh, have a lighter weight, uh, more tailored uh, uh, disclosure regime for these specific assets and not use it to kind of gate the market. But sadly, as a practical matter, the people who run the SEC have zero interest in doing that, right? So the answer is there, there is no natural good regulator that really works right now, and it's kind of unfortunate. I have my idea, which I don't think anybody else likes, is if we do need a new regulator, we need a regulator with a, a mandate to somehow cover hmm, types of software, uh, the design um, and maintenance of certain types of software, which might include certain types of financial um, software that we call DeFi, but it might also include things like semi-autonomous vehicles, quote unquote, artificial intelligence. I just don't think like we don't have a legal regime that's set up to manage those. Things. As you probably saw, you know, one of the things Gensler has aggressively moved into yeah. is expanding cybersecurity disclosures. Um, and that would affect if, if those are passed, that would effectively make the SEC the most, um, you know, the uh, a software starting to become a software regulator in effect. It Mission doesn't make sense. We need like I, I'm not saying like this. I got I got so trolled on Twitter for talking about requiring software. I remember that. The engineers. And it's fine. Like it was, um, it, you know, some of it was deserved. Twitter has no nuance. But I do think like for certain types of critical infrastructure, like the reason we can go up and down in elevators and not worry about it is because we have, we do have an inspection and engineering regime largely created towards the end of the 19th century, which is roughly when lawyers began to be regulated, when doctors began to be regulated, that created a certain type of safety. And I would say for certain types of software, we should be thinking about that, or at least having a conversation. Um, actually, most building codes this is interesting. Most people don't know this. Building codes in the United States are, many of them are created by industry. The Boca codes, or like there's a code for like, uh, for ductwork. So those things are created by industry and then implemented by the government. So you have so, sort of like almost a private, a public-private partnership um, for the creation of some very complicated and critically important um, regimes. I'm just not sure, like, I, I, you know, if you remember reading um, The Jungle, 
um, Upton Sinclair about sort of private markets and sort of the beginning of industrial capitalism. I'm not sure if, if the only goal is profit, I'm not sure that um, sort of existentially significant risks like, you know, artificial intelligence or, um, you know, like artificially like autonomous drones. I, I think there needs to be some interaction with um, uh, someone who is not looking out necessarily for investors, but looking out for society as a whole. I, the reality is like most of the stuff is being developed by by industry. Thanks for joining us for part one of our interview with Stephen Pally. Join us next week for part two, where we ask Pally whether crypto is inherently political and about his involvement in the CFTC suing Uhi Dao. To make sure you see it on time, subscribe to our channel page. See you next week.